Spiritual growth is a special part of Christian life. It is when we mature in our faith and grow closer to God. But here are three excuses you can use to get out of spiritual growth. The immaturity excuse. Why would I want to grow up spiritually? The more I grow up, the more responsibility I have to the church and to others. It's much more fun being spiritually immature. I'll leave the spiritual growth to the spiritual grown-ups. The scheduling conflict excuse. I would try to grow spiritually, but then I'd have to read the Bible more and spend lots of time in prayer, and I just don't have room for that in my schedule, especially not during football season. And finally, the no thanks excuse. I would try to grow closer to God, but that's something a really dedicated Christian would do. I'm more of a Sunday Christian. I show up, I smile, I leave. What I don't do is grow. It's just not for me. The Christian's Guide to Excuses. Wishing you good luck and great excuses. I think all of us could probably identify with some aspect of that video. I thought it was uh, well done. And it ties right in with uh, what we've been talking about so far in June. I'm beginning the summer about talking about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity and developing as disciples and fully committed followers of Christ. And uh, it's during this time that we've been challenged out of 2 Peter 3.18 where he challenges us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So uh, might want to answer some of those excuses and maybe even those that you have about that. Why, why do we grow in spiritual maturity? It's, a, it's because the, the more that we grow in our faith, the deeper we grow in our faith and in our relationship with God, we're better prepared to handle all those uncertainties that life brings our way. And then at the same time, uh, we're better equipped, stronger in our faith, uh, to be used in opportunities of service and ministry when God also brings those into our way. And then at the same time, when that's going on, uh, we are also then contributing to the life of the church. And the stronger that every one of us becomes in our faith, and the deeper that we grow and the more mature that we become in our faith, then the stronger the church is. And the stronger is our witness and our ministry, not just to this culture and community around us, but to the world as well, as we want to proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So I want to challenge you with a question and ask you today. Uh, I got this idea, oh gosh, I don't know, 40 some, 40, yeah, 40 some years ago when I was a band student at Bamberg Earhart High School and Rick McCollum's dad, Mr. Alton McCollum, was our director. And from the first day I walked in there to the last day I walked out, uh, there was uh, this saying across the front of the room where everybody seated there in the band room could see it. And it said, asked this question, what kind of band would this be if every member were just like me? Now, let me, let me turn it towards you in the church. Ask yourself this question. What kind of church would Spring Valley Baptist be if every member were just like me? You know, what would it be like? How strong would we be? That's why we're talking about today about the spiritual growth that makes the church spiritually strong. You see, we have to grow. We have to grow and be mature to be able to contribute to a church that's going to be healthy and going to be great for God and going to be doing wonderful things for God. You see, and, and, the, and the way that we measure the strength of our church is through the level of maturity. And it's kind of like a chain. A, a chain is measured for its strength at its weakest link. I mean, that's the obvious point in it. That the weakest link in the chain is the, is the limit of the, link, is the, of the strength of that chain. And the same thing has to be true with the life of our church. 
is that the, the weakest spiritually mature or immature person, however you want to word it, it tells us how great and how strong and how mature we can be as a church. I want to listen to the challenge that Peter gives to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll read through verse 12. And he talks to us here about, I, I think, three aspects of this uh, maturing in faith. And it all relates to uh, moving along in a chronological order and a sequence that growth would bring to us. And we come to that last point then about uh, being that church that's physically strong and why. So, Paul begins chapter 2 by saying, Therefore, and Peter does, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But, here's where he describes the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. When Peter talks about glorifying God on the day He visits us, he's talking about that theme that he weaves through both of his letters. is about the return of Christ and what kind of people we should be. And, and his argument is that we should be spiritually strong and mature people. And that we should grow as, as a holy nation. And, and if you'll notice how Peter writes, and that's why instead of breaking this up into several weeks, I wanted to put it all together because he, he talks about the, a, a normal sequence here of growth in that process about maturing and coming to know uh, spiritual maturity. And he begins at the logical place. And the logical place is to make sure that we all understand that we have to be a believer in Christ before we can start maturing in our faith. And then he describes what it is to be growing in Christ. And then he describes that body of Christ, the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation who proclaims uh, the excellency of God that once we were in the kingdom of darkness and now we're in the kingdom of light. So let's look at what he talks about. And this life about uh, growing strong spiritually to create a spiritually strong church. What does it consist of? First of all, it's a life that is given by Christ. In verse 2, Paul, uh, Peter wants to make sure that we understand that we 
have to be in this, in this new life, in this created life that God gives to us, and that we have to be in relationship with Him. That's the beginning. He calls us newborn babes. And newborn uh, then indicates that salvation is a birth process. In verse 23 of chapter 1, Peter would say, For you have uh, been born again. That's that key phrase, born again. Uh, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. Now, Peter talks about our spiritual birth in terms of being born again. And, and that spiritual birth is a spiritual birth that comes because of what God offers to us in our life. And it produces spiritual uh, growth in our life. And it's just like uh, our physical birth. We get our physical birth from our parents and we're brought into this world and we're given the gift of life. And we grow. We're supposed to grow if everything is normal and natural. And we receive that life. Well, the same thing is true then uh, with, uh, with our, our spiritual birth. It is a spiritual rebirth where we are born again and we become babes in Christ. Now, what is offered in that life? Well, first of all, it is offered to us by grace. We have to understand that. We cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. But it's offered to us only by God's grace. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That grace of God that's appeared, that's Jesus. That's what the Scripture is talking about. And it's by God's grace that salvation is offered to us. God offered us what we needed, not what we deserved. That undeserved merit and favor of God is grace. And Ephesians 2.8 talks about grace in that salvation process by saying, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see, this grace doesn't come from ourselves. Salvation doesn't come from us. It's a gift from God through His grace. And it reminds us once again, we can't buy it, we can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. But it's through God's grace. You see, even at our best, the Bible tells us that we fall short, we sin and fall short of the glory of God. So it's offered by grace. Secondly, it is obtained by faith. This new life is received by faith. God's grace, He offers it to us. But we have to have the faith to receive it. Listen again to 2 Corinthians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So what does it mean then that while it's offered in grace, it's received by faith? It means this. We have to have the faith that we believe Jesus Christ came as God incarnate. And He went to the cross and He died on the cross as our Savior in our place as a substitute for our sins. And, and that He was literally dead and He was buried and resurrected on the third day. And all of that to depict for us and to bring for us our salvation experience through the grace of God. And we have to believe that what Jesus did and who He is is the offer of God's grace. And by faith, simply believing that, claiming that, we step out and we, we receive that new life by that faith extended to us through God's grace. It's like receiving a gift. Somebody has a gift for you. They put your name on it. They wrap it up. They bought it. 
Maybe your dad's going to get a lot of new ties. And it's, uh, I did get a tie. I got a new tie yesterday for Father's Day. I wore it in the, I wore it in the 845 service. And it's kind of green and mingling. And several people noticed they went exactly with our flowers. And I said, wait, I planned it that way. I put in the order for the flowers and I planned it that way. But and salvation is a gift. You have to reach out and receive it. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, when we come to Christ, we are saved from our sins we become babes in Christ, we're newborn, we're born again, and we become God's children. And to be what God wants us to be, then we've got to start that growth process. That leads us to the second thing to observe out of this passage of Scripture. And this life that God wants us to live for spiritual maturity, to make the church spiritually strong, is a life that is growing in Christ. Now, it's an exciting time when a baby comes. A new life enters into the world. It's the miracle of God and creation all over once again. I marvel at it every time I get to, to go and pray with families uh, with a newborn child. And every time that uh, our children were born, it just put me on my knees in the delivery room, praising God for that gift of life and allowing me to be a part of creation. And, and then to see my children have children and, and to see grandchildren come into the world. And the amazing thing then continues then, if everything is normal and natural, the baby is healthy, then there's a logical growth process. The child desires milk and then food, and it starts to grow. And there are exciting moments, like the time that the child rolls over for the first time, whether it's your child or your grandchild. You see, we, we wait for that now with our grandchildren, and, and they've, they've uh, all reached that point and beyond that where, where you watch them for the first time, they roll over. And then they start doing things in that growth process, like, uh, they start cutting teeth, and you know what that's like. It's painful, it's agonizing, and it's absolute misery, and it's totally worse for your baby, right? <laughs> and, and you know, moms, that there are two things that go always go along with, with your baby teething. Two things, a fever and diarrhea, right? And every pediatrician in the world will tell you they're not related. It doesn't happen. I mean, we did went through that with four children, and they said the same thing. It's just a coincidence, and it's just a really, it's a coincidence that every time they're cutting teeth, they run fever and have diarrhea. They go together, I think. I think it's a part of that process. And then they start to talk, and they say wonderful words like mama, daddy. And then they say even greater words like mama, mimi, nana, papa, the greatest word of all, papa, you know. I, and, and I make no bones about it. That my children know I'm a, I'm a papa and I'm a softy. And uh, the only thing I have to watch out for is food allergies that some of them have. And when I've got them solo, I have to watch out that I don't give them something uh, that they're not supposed to have. But that's a wonderful process, isn't it? Well, just as that baby grows physically, we're to grow spiritually. And Peter says in verse 2, he says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Grow up in your salvation. That's what God wants us to do. I like the way C.S. Lewis said. He said, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. So, we're supposed to become a little Christ. We're supposed to be like Christ. Now, since this is Father's Day, I do want to weave something in besides the video. I was talking to his son-in-law, Philip, who's pastor at First Baptist Wagner. Now, late yesterday afternoon, he called me to ask me about something. And he's had one of those weeks in ministry uh, that I kind of kid around and say, it's a good thing we don't work but one day a week. But they had Bible school going on this week. 
Uh, they had, he had a man in the church, had quadruple bypass somewhere here in Columbia. They had a 17-year-old man whose liver was failing, who'd been on a transplant list uh, for some time and got a call Friday night that they had a donor. Surgery was in Charleston. Philip spent all day Saturday uh, down there for that. And then there was another issue when he got back home. He called me and we talked about that for a while. And we ended the conversation. I said, so what are you, are you ready for tomorrow? He said, oh yeah, I got that done. I said, with all that going on? He said, yeah, I managed to get the sermon ready. And I said, well, what are you preaching on on Father's Day? And he laughed and he said, you know, with everything that was going on, it just absolutely slipped my mind that the Sunday would be Father's Day. So I said, well, what are you preaching on? And he said, Hannah. <laughs> and I said, why are you preaching on Hannah? He said, well, I've been in a series about uh, people in the Bible of great faith and who were great prayers. And, and Hannah, Hannah was one of those. And I said, well, I want to know Sunday afternoon when we get together how you weave that into a Father's Day sermon, okay? So, how am I going to weave something into this Father's Day sermon about spiritual maturity? Well, in 1 John 2.13, John writes and says something that's important. And then I want you to notice three words that are levels of maturity. He says, I write to you fathers. There's hint number one. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, secondly, young men. Because you have overcome the evil one. And I write to you, dear children. That's number three, because you have known the Father. You see that sequence in that growth process? Children, young men, fathers. There's the challenge to you. Men, grow up. Know what it means to be a man for God. Know what it means to live for God. Know what it means to be a spiritual leader in the home. And when your opportunity comes, lead. Lead like you're supposed to. Now, what is involved in, in this process of growing? Well, let's talk about, first of all, the means of spiritual growth. How do we grow spiritually? Well, we do that by taking in the, in the Word of God and everything that He gives to us uh, uh, for spiritual growth. A lot of things that are provided for that, but, but Peter kind of makes it uh, clear in one statement. He writes and he says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. That's an interesting word that Paul uses there for crave. Crave, the spiritual milk. When's the last time you had a craving for something that just couldn't be stopped unless you got it? Hmm? You had a craving for something this week? Uh, Cookie was in Kentucky for last week and a part of this week. And uh, one day I was leaving here and I just, for some reason, I, I had a a, a peach milkshake on my mind and I just had a craving for that peach milkshake and I said well I got to stop in, in Kroger and I'll just get some of those things and by then I'll forget it well I came out of Kroger and you know what you see when you look straight that way you see there's Chick-fil-A and there's a sign out there with peach milkshakes and, and I looked and I said well the drive through line wraps around the building you know I'm, I'm not supposed to have it so I waited 20 minutes in the parking lot before the line went down and then I went through the drive-thru and I got my peach milkshake. <laughs> you know what I observe about those cravings in my life? Maybe it's the same in yours. It's never for really what's those wholesome things, let's call them, that we need for growth, right? I mean, I never have a craving for Brussels sprouts or broccoli. Do you? Do you? If you are, you're different. In fact, you might need to go get checked out. I'd much rather have a peach milkshake than Brussels sprouts. I eat Brussels sprouts, that's fine, but I don't have a craving for them, you know. 
But Peter talks to us about craving those things that allow us to grow. The Bible, God's Word, getting in the life of a church, you know, getting involved in Bible study. That's why we have Bible study classes on Sunday morning. You ought to be in that Bible study class. You never know enough that you don't need to be in a Bible study class and learn something from somebody else. I just finished reading through the book of Job recently and reading through the Bible, and, then, and, and I'm now into the Psalms. But Job made a statement that caught my attention for the first time. In chapter 23, verse 12, he said, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Now, let me translate that for you, paraphrase it. You know what Job is saying? Job is saying, I'd rather hear the word of God than eat. That's what he's saying. I would rather have the word of God than to eat, because he knew that was his spiritual food. And see, that's the kind of way we need to crave. That's the way we need to crave the spiritual food. That's why we have those Bible study classes and then other classes that teach you spiritual truths and principles. That's why we've encouraged you this year to have a read through the Bible plan. If you are, I hope you're up to date. I caught up last night. I'm up to date. I'm in the Psalms, about Psalm 80-something. I forget which one. Uh, But I'm in this book of Psalms right now, uh, about halfway. So I'm, I'm keeping up with that. Then the second thing to say about this is, is let's look at the manner of spiritual growth. We go back to 318, 2 Peter 3.18. He said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. See, if you're going to grow in spirituality, if you're going to grow to spiritual maturity, then you've got to grow in grace. And that means everything related to your Christian life. Those things like prayer and faith and service, the will of God, you know, those things that are, that are part of grace. So we're to grow in, a, in an increasing measure of the grace of God. And then it also tells us to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means that we need to build that relationship with Him to a deeper level, always taking it to a deeper level, just like you should do in friendships and in marriage. Now, those, those relationships should be deeper and deeper week by week and month by month and year by year. And, and the only way we do that is just simply learning more about Jesus, studying more about Him, craving that relationship with Him above anything else, and making that your first priority, and growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, let's start to wrap it up with the, the motive for spiritual growth. Let us see on this one. And that is, he says, that to him be glory both now and forever. A remembrance minded to us to remember that the whole reason for spiritual growth is not that we get a lot of knowledge. And not that we just grow to correct other people. And not that we just grow spiritually so that we can go around and say, I'm spiritually mature, I'm growing, I'm growing to you. But so that we can glorify God. That's why we're supposed to have a spiritual maturity, so that we can glorify God. Now, here's the third thing about this life, this spiritually mature life that leads to a strong church. And it's a life that is godly for Christ. Look in verse 1 of our scripture. Peter says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And then he challenges us to grow spiritually. See, spiritual growth always results in a godly life. 
Spiritual growth always results in a godly life. It's, it, it, it is life transforming as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it should be life transforming. Now what does that involve? Peter mentions two things. First of all is the absence of sinful things. And that should make sense to us. It's the absence of sinful things. He tells us six sinful things that we need to get rid of in our life. He says all malice, that's any wickedness, whatever form of wickedness you've got to get rid of it. Deceit, that's any kind of deception or fraud. Hypocrisy, that's where you're two-faced. That's what that literally means. And, and that means that we're to be real and to be genuine. He talks about get rid of envy. That means there should be no jealousy, no coveting going on in your life. And then he talks about there should be no slander. You know what that is? That's talking behind somebody's back, saying false things, starting rumors, gossiping about people. All that should be taken away. Those are things he mentions to put away. There might be other things in your life. Probably are. Probably in mine as well. But all those things we need to put aside. And then, then what do we do when we take those things out? We can't just take those out. We've got to add something to our life. And what we do is we add the presence of spiritual things. Spiritual things. See, Peter is pointing out in verse 2 that when we rid ourselves of these sinful actions and attitudes, then there's that growing knowledge of Christ and that craving for spiritual growth and development. And, and, and he tells us why in several places. In verse 5 he says, You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're, we're to be living stones built into a spiritual house and to be a holy priesthood. You know what a priest is, the role of a priest? Literally means a, a bridge builder. And that would be building a bridge from God to the culture of this world that's lost. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church, as a royal priesthood. Then you look what he says in 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, that's bringing glory to God, isn't it? That that's what we're supposed to proclaim. To people lost in darkness, to people whose eyes have been blinded to spiritual truth by the power of Satan, we're to proclaim the light of the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to challenge us a little bit deeper. He talks about the fact that in verses 11 through 12, that, that we're to influence our culture even more. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Why does he call us angels, aliens and strangers in this world? It's because our citizenship is in heaven. He talks about that. That's where our real citizenship is. We're just here as aliens and strangers. But he says, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. That's an interesting translation in it about this culture today. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. What's it all about? This spiritual life is all about glorifying God. Proclaiming the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. You know, it, it, it's, it's influencing the culture by the way that we live. All for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. Now, how do we know whether we're really growing and maturing? A lot of different ways to measure that. I just want to give you some, some questions maybe 
that uh, you might want to jot down and, and see how they apply to your life, okay? Uh, do you still have just as big a problem with your temper as when you were first converted? Do you ever feel spiritually powerless? Do you have long dry spells in which nothing seems to be going on between you and God? Are you unable to generate love, care, and concern for others? Do you live a self-centered, self-seeking life? Is it still all about you? Do hatred, anger, jealousy play a, a large role in the way you express your personality? Do you put others down to make yourself look better? Does your life reflect more of the works of the flesh than the fruit of the Spirit? Those are some tough questions, aren't they? But if you get real and you get honest with those, you can make great headway towards spiritual maturity. Father, we thank you on this Father's Day that you are God and Father. No matter what kind of relationship we have with our dads here or what kind of father we had, uh, we know we have a perfect heavenly father in you, and we thank you for that. We also know, Father, that you extend that wonderful grace to us so that we can uh, come to know you and accept you by faith and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and begin that wonderful process of the Christian life, being born again and move on to a spiritual maturity. Thank you, Father, for the, cha- for the challenge from your word today that encourages us to, to rid our lives of the evil things and to, to fill it with your spirit and a craving for a deeper relationship with you so that we can be about glorifying you in the culture where we live. So, Father, help us all to grow to spiritual maturity, stronger in our faith so that we make this a strong church and great for your name and our influence around the world, all for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.